0: A high quality ABA program treats clients with dignity and respect. But how can we make sure that we are maintaining client dignity in ABA sessions? So when I think of client dignity, it's just even the small things. I recently started working at a group home and uh, the first day they were showing me around and they were knocking on the individual's doors before they went in. And I thought that was just such a simple and basic thing. Of course, you knock on someone's door before you enter. Um, But to me, that just showed so much respect for the client. And it showed a lot about that organization as well, because I have been in other organizations where that doesn't happen. So just simply, what is client dignity? As simple as knocking on someone's door before you enter.
1: Yeah, really, in our work with our kids and our students, our individuals, anyone that we're working with, um, their needs need to be top of mind. We have to think about treating them the way we would want to be treated. Um, and that's no matter what type of individual that we're referring to. Um, even if we think that they don't understand like what we're referring to or what we're talking about, we they, need, they deserve the same amount of dignity as anybody else. Um, you know, one way we can do this is by obtaining client assent.
0: And what does that really mean? We have another video on that. Um, it's client assent and ABA and why that's important. But um, you know, really, it's it's comes down to it's almost like consent. Like, are you consenting to do this? Um, but assent is really just about you know, are you with me or are you running away from me? And if you've got clients who are running away from you, you need to change. <clears throat> something about that you know whether that's through pairing making your sessions more fun um or just changing programming because maybe it's too hard uh you know those non-speaking clients aren't going to be able to tell you you know if they're having fun or you know if their rights are being violated so you know or whether they've even got consen- um, any kind of consent or assent so you've got to really look for some of those non you know non-verbal cues of am i running away you know are they there are they having fun is their body oriented towards you you know are they in the game? you know, for lack of a better word. Uh, So we'll check out our other video on that. But other things would be things just like, um, you know, other than consent or assent, you know, are their rights actually being violated? Um, You know, and what does that actually mean? You know, little, little tiny things. But, you know, as ABA therapists, you know, oftentimes we teach kids toilet training. We teach kids how to get dressed. And how do you do this in a way that maintains their dignity? You know, a two-year-old, sure, I'm seeing a two-year-old naked on the toilet. It. Um, but if I need to teach them how to wipe, you know, I'm going to put gloves on because that way it just, you know, ensures that, you know, it, it's, you know, that barrier and it's that privacy thing. Um, you know, as a kid gets older, I'm going to teach them how to close the door um, and, and that privacy of I'm closing the door and I'm going to the bathroom on my own. You know, if you're teaching kids how to get dressed, for instance, you know, depending on the age of the child, you know, you're going to, you know, change the way you prompt based on that age, right? You know, as, you know, a two-year-old, you may be able to help a two-year-old, you know, get their shirt over their head. You know, if you're teaching a 16-year-old how to get dressed, you know, you're going to want to teach in other ways or practice ahead of time while they're still wearing another shirt before they, you know, before they put that shirt on when they're naked and you're not there. Um, recently, I went in to see um, a female showering routine and she's older. And I requested that she wear a bathing suit during that visit because, you um, she she's 30. I didn't need to see her naked and she didn't need me to see her naked. So really just thinking about all of that and how do we maintain that and how would we want to be treated? Like Shira said before,
1: you know, how would we want to be treated um, when we're talking about that? And I think it's not just about, you know, when we're actually teaching them dressing or things like that. But so often within classroom programs, we think it's OK to teach our students how to, you know, take on and off their clothing, but it becomes like kind of a random activity in the middle of the day. It's time to do dressing. And so in a classroom, they're kind of taught to take things on and off because it's time for dressing. And so it could be a little bit more dignified if we're teaching those kind of skills within a context. So is it because we're going swimming? Is it because we're, you know, putting on our jackets to go outside, or maybe we are going to the bathroom because a lot of our clients don't really discriminate between, I'm getting undressed now because you're telling me that it's dressing time. And another time someone tells me to get undressed, I shouldn't. So putting it within a context, I think just really preserves a lot of dignity. Um, another thing that, you know, Dr. Gregory Hanley talks about is something called televisability. Um, It's a great way to gauge whether the dignity is being followed. If there was a TV watching or camera that was uh, televising everything that you were doing as an ABA therapist and somebody could watch it at all times, would you be proud of what it is that they're watching? And all of our interactions and ABA sessions should be televisable. I'm not even sure if that's a made up word or it's something that existed before him, but it is such a great way to think about um, how our sessions are looking because very often we'll be with kids in a room by ourselves, or there won't be anybody around, or you know there may be other ABA therapists or other kids. But if we always have in the back of our mind, would I be proud if this? child's parent was watching what was happening and that's a great way to gauge if you should continue to do what you were doing and that especially comes up when you know challenging behavior comes up or maybe you don't have consent and the child is trying to run away from your session would you be proud of the ways that you were redirecting or managing or getting a child you know back to where they needed to be Um, so it's really important to think about that in your sessions Such a good point, Shira.
0: You know, another one of my big pet peeves is when people talk about clients around them. You know, I have an 11-year-old daughter, and I would never, you know, she'd be right beside me. I would never talk about her weaknesses or her faults right in front of her, you know, unless I involved her in the conversation. But I would never go up to somebody and say, well, did you know that, you know, my daughter can't do this, 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 and this? I think about what that would do to her self-confidence. So why are we doing it with our clients? Um, You know, making sure that our clients are out of the room and we're having that conversation or engaging them in the
1: conversation with us to talk to them about what their goals are as well. And I know that a lot of parts of our jobs can be very frustrating and very challenging. And all of us as human beings feel like we need to vent. Um, But we have to be very careful of where that venting is going, both to who it's going to and how that's coming across. So, while it's okay to sometimes need to vent, you know, find your supervisor or go to someone, but it has to be completely confidential. And we don't want to talk in any way that's demeaning of our clients. So, you might be frustrated by something and you need a solution and you need help, and that's okay. But when you're out with your friends and, you know, you shouldn't be telling this funny story about how this child had a really messy accident and it was so hysterical, A, it should be completely confidential. They should never know who it is. But even if they don't know who it is, like, it's just not respectful in a way to describe, like, I want somebody describing my child that way, even if they didn't know who it was. So really thinking about how you're describing or talking about your clients outside of work. And,
0: you know, your clients, you know, regardless of how tough they can be, they're someone's child. Think about that. They're someone's child. You know, and if you have a child, you would never want someone to talk about your child like that. So make sure that you
1: realize that and not talk about your client in such a way. And so much of what we can give over to you to do is... Not can be written up in a protocol. There's so much intuition and being able to respond to clients' needs and how they're feeling. It's very hard to put that into a protocol of like when this happens, always do this or never do that. But there has to be a general, you know, intuitiveness with the clients and knowing that they're feeling frustrated. Maybe this is not the time to follow through with this demand or they're really overwhelmed. Maybe they need a break. And it's not about, you know, there should still be a general plan in place that you're following. We definitely don't want. Um, you to be going off of that plan. But sometimes there is that level of knowing your client and being able to read where they're at so that you can be receptive to their needs and their feelings and not, and so that it doesn't interfere with any type of greater behavior plan that's in place. So we, we get so used to this rule of like, whenever you give a demand, you know, you have to complete the demand or whenever a child's having a meltdown, always do this or never do this. And I think there are no absolutes, like everything is kind of sometimes and we get our kids so used to following routines and instructions that we forget that like, sometimes they just need a break. And sometimes they just don't want to do things and that's okay. Um, We can give them choices and it doesn't always have to be a forced choice. Sometimes they get to just, you know, not do their homework because they're not in the mood the same way I sometimes don't do what I'm supposed to do if I'm not in the mood. So giving them lots of choices um, when appropriate is another way to just remember that they're people and that they get to have Um, choices in their lives. We chatted about emotions before too. You know, when they are, you know, upset or feeling frustrated,
0: label it for them. It's okay to tell them, uh, oh, wow, you sound really frustrated right now. Oh, you know, I can see that this is tough for you. That's okay. Um, Really making sure that you're looking at them as a person first. You know, yes, they're your client. Yes, they may have autism or something else, but don't look at them like that or like another number or another client or, oh, how many more minutes? Do I have left of this session.
1: It's really about you're a person, you're a human being. I'm going to treat you like one. And it's also, you know, we all come to our sessions and to our clients with our own personal opinions and personal views. And it becomes very easy to judge other people that we don't agree with. And that really, another person's, you know, culture or opinions or even political views can sometimes trickle into our sessions, especially if we're doing some home-based therapy or working with parents. And we have to really remember to not let our personal views or judgments interfere with the treatment or create a problem or, um, you know, have a different opinion of this client or treat them any differently because we don't agree with maybe the family's personal opinion or their views. Um, It shouldn't interfere with the way that you treat that client and the family. And if you're finding
0: that it is, making sure that you can talk to your supervisor about that and have that open and honest conversation away from the client. About that, because that is massive. If you are um, you know imposing any of your personal views or judgments, or if you're even thinking a certain way,
1: um, making sure that you talk to your supervisor about that. And if you do think that your client is in danger for whatever reason, whether it's at home or in another setting, um, then you do have a duty to report, and if that's the case, then you should have a policy in place for how to handle that information. Uh, most likely going to your supervisor or somebody else at your organization who can help you deal with that. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you
0: get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate, and review so others can find out about
1: us too. For more from How to ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com and make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.